Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 37. My guest today is Fraser Smith. Fraser is a radio personality, and he's also, uh, for my money, the best host in all of Hollywood. Not only are you very funny, but uh, you're a really good host, and that is, that's a lost art form, Fraser. Well, Tim, you know, uh, a lot, thank you for saying that, and a lot of people, uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the comics that we know don't really enjoy hosting. It's not something they uh, really want to do. They they usually like to do a regular uh, set uh, in their stand-up. And um, I've always felt the opposite. I've always liked hosting, and I think that's because I kind of wanted to and still want to do some TV hosting, you yeah. know. Um, I always thought that... Uh, that position in the club could lend itself to somebody wanting to pick you to do that, you know, on television. Sure. Um, you know, because my, the guys I always looked up to were guys like Carson and Letterman and, and uh, those kind of guys, and those are the host guys, obviously, so. Yeah, well, you can tell, and the reason that a lot of guys don't want to do that job is because it is freaking hard, man. People... People don't know, uh, <laughs> most people don't realize just how difficult of a job going up first is and and warming up the crowd and dealing with them coming in and sitting down and ordering their drinks and maybe getting food and all that crap. A lot of that falls on the MC and and you you can tell that you've been influenced by those guys because you do all the little things and you do things the right way and like when you like at those laugh factory shows the the shows where people are getting up you know at the later at the later part of the show and they're getting up after each act and leaving a lot of guys won't stand there and take that bullet like you do a lot of them will just bring up the next guy and they just and you just have to go up into a shitstorm of people leaving and all that and you you stand there and take it for the next guy which is admirable and you you do some jokes in between, but you don't stay up there all freaking night. And uh, I, I just I just think it's great, and I love when you're on a show because I just I know it's going to be ran the right way. And uh, I'm telling you, man, that's why people don't want to do it. But you are good at it. Well, it's really nice of you to say that. And uh, you know, I do feel an obligation to. Uh, I think the host part of the host job is to make the comics look good, and. Uh, you know, and that's always something that I was a big Carson fan, and I, I watch his stuff on YouTube all the time. And something he's great at is just making sure the uh, meetings who are on his show shine, you know. And, you know, he's just good with being sort of a straight man and letting them do their thing and setting them up. And uh, I think in a club, it's a similar thing, Tim. You, you know, you have to uh, give your, uh, your fellow comics a shot at, at, you know, having a good set. So I do try to hang in there, and, and the tough ones are those uh, late-night spots, like you said, because sometimes, uh, you know, there are, there are little tricks you can do, though, to kind of, you know, keep the crowd around and, and keep them settled in their seats. So I do take pride in that, and thank you for noticing it, man. And, uh, yeah, it's just something I've always uh, kind of worked at, and, and hopefully I, I do a good job with it. Yeah, you do, and, and I tell people that about the feature spot all the time. I'm like... Your job as the feature is to build a bridge for the headliner. It's all about the show. And if the headliner, like, like there are certain things you don't do in the middle, or you're not, they're kind of unwritten rules. Like, you don't go up and do a ton of crowd work. You don't, you don't be filthy and all that stuff, because you're supposed to build a bridge to the headliner. Now, if he can't follow you, if he can't follow your material, well, that's on him. But if you're going up and featuring... And just to throw grenades into the show, like, I'm going to make sure he can't follow me and, and that it fucks up the show and so they want to book me to headline. That's the wrong attitude. Like I said, if he can't follow your material, fine. But don't go in there just trying to be a dick, doing nothing but local crowd work and being filthy and 
and then being like, good luck. I opened up that can of worms for 20 minutes and now you get to go <laughs> make all those people, you know, I made all these people want to talk and think it's a question and answer session for 25 minutes. And now you got to go up and do an hour and deal with that shit. I'm like, that is not your job, you know? So. Well, you're right. And some people do have an attitude and I think it is the wrong attitude. And you know what? Uh, it's just a, it's a selfish attitude and something that, that some people have. And I think they're missing the point because like you said, the point is a good show. Mm -hmm. And, I think a good club owner notices that, too. Notices somebody that's trying to, you know, uh, bury their headliner or make them look bad or compete with them. You know, and, and I think, you know, a good club owner also notices when someone does it right. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, people do get, you know, uh, rewarded for, for handling it the right way. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's all you can do is just, you know, do your job the best you can. Try not to... You know, I don't drink anymore, which helps. Um, now I don't have to wake up and wonder what I said the night before. Or <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I well, used... that's the other another problem of, of club life. You know, as you know, uh, being on the road, you get a little bored, or you can if you let yourself. You know, and uh, really, honestly, there's probably lots of stuff to do that's more constructive than partying, but. You know, uh, the road comic has to be careful, I think, that you don't fall into too many of those vices, you know, because uh, in the long run, those will kind of get you if you're not careful. Yeah, Bobcat Goldthwaite told me a long time ago, he said, the road can be great, but you can pick up bad habits, and I was like, what? And he goes, well, for one, you cuss too, you learn to cuss too much and drink too much, and he's definitely right about both of those things. Um, <laughs> you do too much of the road and you, and you do both of those things too much. And, uh, um, it, it's true. And so it, it's also hard to go from, you know, sometimes I'll do like 50 minutes and, you know, it's a great show and people are buying merchandise for a half hour after the show. And 10 minutes later, I am in the room by myself with my styrofoam box and my food. And it's a weird thing sometimes and it's hard to wind down. So... You see why people abuse shit. Well, you do. You know, it's interesting. I was reading um, Steve Martin's book, uh, Born Standing Up, which is a great book. Uh, I recommend it to anybody that's interested in comedy. And uh, he talks about that on the highest level because, remember, he was one of the first guys who got to play stadiums. He was playing gigantic venues, you know, when he got his height, his peak. And he would say that same thing that we said, that you just said, you know, he'd just play a stadium and then he'd find himself in his hotel room an hour later alone, yeah. you know, with his room service and, you know, that was, you know, and, you know, it, and, and you're still buzzing from the show, you've got the adrenaline rush and, and um, so it even happens to the big guys in comedy and, and um, that is an odd, an odd dynamic and something that you know is, is, is one of the potential pitfalls for a comic because I think that's when you start drinking that's when you start doing stuff to uh, you know doing drugs or whatever to uh, fill in time and, uh, and and so Popcat was right about that those are a couple of the pitfalls yeah I haven't drank in almost seven years and uh, um, I forgot what the heck I was even going to tell you about why I quit um, when I quit drinking seven years ago um, anyway, it'll come back to me in a second. Were you, <clears throat> were you ever much of a drinker? I don't think I've ever seen you drinking none of that. I haven't been in, in recent years, yeah, probably in about 20 years I haven't. And I never went to uh, AA or anything. I, I just cold turkey stopped. And I did because, uh, you know, basically the driving in LA. I had an experience one time, um, you know, I used to, uh, Host, well, I still go to the nice house uh, once a week, and I used to host out there all the time, a couple times a week. And, you know, I knew all the bartenders and everything, and uh, they knew my drink. And, uh, you know, as soon as the show was over, they'd be pushing drinks at me. Hey, Fred, have one of these, you know. And one night I had a few too many just hanging around after the show and was driving home, and I had the, some amazing luck. I got pulled over. And I was hammered, and I shouldn't have been driving. And mm -hmm. just as I'm rolling down the window to talk to the cop, uh, somebody went by on a motorcycle at about 120 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the cop goes, this 
this is your lucky day, and he just let me go and went and jumped in his car and took off after that guy. So, uh, you know, that just shocked me right there into stopping because, you know, the last thing you want is a DUI, and uh, uh, I would have gotten one that night. So I was really uh, lucky, and it kind of, you know, was a wake-up call. Yeah, I've been pulled over a few times and deserved a DUI and, and not gotten one, and just by the grace of God, because I have no idea, you know, um, how... Yeah. Well, you, and you've got your funny bit, I love your bit about the marijuana bit, <laughs> you know, with the cop. Uh, you know, that's a good one, And but you're right, it's just something that, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's the boredom of our job, you know, in compared with the exciting part of performing, you know, performing's exciting, and, and you know, before the show, you're excited. But when it's over, uh, you know, you—that's when you have potential vices that can come in, and you know, I guess you just have to keep your eye on, on those. Yeah. Uh, are, do you prefer radio or stand-up? Do you have? A, are they completely different? So. Well, they're completely different. I, I, I guess. Um, you get a different buzz from each one, you know. Uh, I guess I would say radio in the sense that um, you never have a bad crowd. <laughs> you, know, you might have a bad crowd, but you don't know it. You yeah. know, they're out there, you know, so you don't really get to see them. And, uh, you know, in stand-up, you know, we've done it long enough to where we are pretty comfortable with almost any crowd, even a, a you know, we're a rowdy crowd, whatever. We can handle most of those. You know, we've done a long time. But you still have those occasional nights where you get a very flat crowd. Every once in a while. And I know they always say you can't blame the audience, and you really shouldn't. But every once in a while, uh, I think you'd probably agree with me, there's a crowd that you just can't budge. Nobody can budge them all night. You know, none of the comics. And... You don't have that in radio. In radio, you're, you're kind of just doing your show. You're chewing the engineer or whatever, and you're doing your thing. And um, so I would say in that regard, I, I like radio better. Um, it, only because uh, you don't have that occasional night where, uh, you know, things go flat. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I tell people all the time, I'm like, the most consistent thing about comedy is the inconsistency. And sometimes you just never know. You can have a, a, I've gotten a partial standing ovation one night, and the next night in the same room, just gotten stared at like I was selling insurance. And, it, you yeah. know, it happens. Yeah, it can go that way. And see, we know that, so we're usually pretty okay with it because we know that's how it goes. But, you know, I always go back to uh, a show that I just, drives me crazy was, uh, I did the early show for New Year's at the Hollywood Laugh Factory a couple of years ago. And I always wonder about the people who come out uh, on New Year's for the early show anyway. What's wrong with those people? You know, <laughs> right. I, just, yeah, I did the 9.30 countdown, you know. And, uh, you know, but um, it just happened to be that my brother and sister-in-law and my nephews, who were like, college age, were all out for the Rose Parade. Uh, in my, one, one of my nephews was in, the, in a band that was in the Rose Parade, so they, they came to the club that night. They had never seen me do stand-up, mm -hmm. and it was one of those weird crowds, you know, that doesn't go out to clubs. They were just, let's go out for New Year's, and they really weren't tuned in on how to even behave as a comedy uh, right. audience. And none of the comics got any laughs. It was, it was one of the weirdest nights ever. You know, <laughs> I was just struggling at the top, and every comic who came up struggled. Really good comics, like A-plus comics, all, that we all know. Yeah. And not one of them. Everyone thought, well, maybe I'll get the laughs tonight. None of them did. And they all came off stage shaking their head. Like, wow, man. <laughs> so my brother and sister-in-law have thought that about me ever since that. <laughs> <You know>? Really? <laughs> Right. Occurrence, yeah, but I feel for you. The like, only time they've seen me alive, you know, and I'm sure they think, well, he must not be that good. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, you know, we're in an odd biz where you're right. You can have those those weird nights, and you just hope they don't occur when you have friends or family members in the audience or industry people or somebody, you know. Um, 
Because if it just happen on a on a regular night, you don't really care too much. You're, you're going to have those. But where you care is if you have some people there, and then you feel like you're about two inches tall. Yeah, when you were telling that yeah. story, like my chest was tightening up. <laughs> well, you, you know, know it's just one of those things where. You know, uh, every from now on, every time I say to them, you know, I have a big show coming up, they're kind of looking at me like, yeah, well, I hope it's better than the one we saw. You know, um, and yet the people don't know that, I don't think that the average person knows that that can happen, you know, that you can get those crowds. Oh, um, yeah. You know, that you said earlier, sometimes you, you hear comics say, uh, it's never the crowd's fault. Well, sometimes it is completely their fault. <laughs> like, Well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you know that, that came from, I think it was Bud Friedman who used to always say that, you can never blame the audience. Well, I think there's times you can. Yeah. And, you know, and, and certainly that night was one of them. I've never seen anything like that, man, because we had really eight comics on there. Like yourself, I mean, you're a great comic, and we had people like you on there. It was all friends of ours. Ian Edwards was on the show. I can't think of who else. And all really good comics, and they usually just kill. But this is one of those nights where you couldn't bump them, no matter what you did. Well, and you, know, you have those occasionally. Yeah. Do you remember... I'm sure you don't. You've hosted so many shows, but you you were hosting the worst show of my life, of my probably of my career, as far as how I felt on stage. Like I almost felt, and this was like two years ago. I almost felt it's the only time I've ever in 19 years felt like helpless on stage. Like I always get kind of nervous before I go to Hollywood, anyway, for whatever reason. But I had bitten the inside of my cheek like earlier that week, and when you do that, it can cause canker sores, and I had had like fucking 12 in my mouth, so for like, so for like a week, I had barely eaten anything, and, and I went to the show that night, and my blood sugar was real low, and I was kind of nervous, and, and I just figured it would go away like it always does as soon as I got on stage, but it was that spot at the Laugh Factory, like it was Dane Cook, and then Brian Scolaro, and he went up and did really well, but he closed with like, I don't know, three minutes of fart impersonations. <laughs> so that's right. so that's kind of where the crowd's mind was. And then I went up and tried to do what I do, and my nervousness just would not go away. And I had, like, sweat rolling down my back, and people were, like, getting up and leaving because it was that awkward spot. And I just, I have never eaten it that hard or felt like I was going to have to bail. And to my credit, I stood up there and took it for 18 minutes, but for the first 10, I was like, dude, it was the worst worst set of my life as far as how I felt and I heard this lady off to this to the left go uh go he's terrible and I was like I didn't even have anything to say I was just like fuck I was like a deer in the headlights and and ever since then I've been like it can happen <laughs> you know and I, well, I it can happen you know, and it happens to everyone I think um uh, I, I think the one thing about being a major headliner though I think is you have a certain advantage in that um you're known, and those are your fans. So if, if you're, uh, you know, Tim Allen, or if you're, uh, you know, Chris Rock or somebody, they're coming out to see you, mm -hmm. and you're going to have a, a, a pro Kid Rock audience, uh, a Chris Rock audience. I mean, you're going to have a pro Chris Rock audience, and they're all going to be there to see Chris. And, and so you're probably not going to get, you know, they're into it from the word go. You're going to have to do something pretty bad to turn them all off, you yeah. know? And so I think that's a, an advantage a big headliner has because, you know, big headliners have to close strong every night. They have to. They're out in a theater, and the crowds paid a lot of money for the tickets, and they can't afford to have a bad show. I'm sure they do still every once in a while, but most of the time they have to be able to deliver, and because you have a, a crowd that's into you, that's your crowd, there's a much better chance of that. When you're playing random crowds, like we wind up playing a, a, a lot of the time, right. um, then it is kind of tricky because every once in a while you will get that bad crowd. Yeah. And if you get that bad crowd, they're going to think that you're terrible. That was my point about my brother and sister-in-law. You know, I'm like, oh, man, of all nights to get a bad crowd. Right. You know, because... Yeah, they probably think I'm terrible. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, and it, it's 
hard not to look bad on those nights because you get that thing where you just can't do anything. And no matter what you do, it's not going to work. But I think, you know, you just have to shake those off because, like you said, the next night you can get a partial standing O. I yeah. Mean, you know, you're not terrible at all. It's just that was a weird night. And, you know, and when you think about it, everybody has them in every job. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, so many times you'll go uh, in, in regular life to go to do something at any service type thing and have them do a poor job. You know, uh, it's it just everybody out there in the public isn't doing a great job all the time. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and athletes too. You know, you'll go to see you know the top hitter in baseball. You go see him, and you don't go over four that night. Exactly. You know. So it does happen to a lot of people in a lot of jobs. Um, we just tend to think it only happens to us. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. I think that's just the uh, uh, the one danger of our job. The good part about our job is that once you've done it as long as you and I have, those nights don't occur too often. Yeah, they get fewer and farther between. And, yeah, and they don't happen too often, thank God. And, you know, we're... we're pretty uh, immune to those at this point. But, you know, when you asked about radio, the thing about radio is, you know, you might be having a bad show, but only you really know it at the time. You know, you don't have to, you're not sweating that out because there's nobody there to tell you that you're doing badly. So, yeah, even that night, and they may have just been being nice, but they, I've had people come up to me and be like, hey, that was really funny, and I wanted to go, fuck off. Like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, well, like I just about. about that? Yeah. They always tell you, don't say that you had a bad show because the audience might not have felt that way. Yeah. And it's weird. I This is really weird. That uh, club is no longer there, but they had an improv at Harris, and I don't know if you ever played there. Um, it was a nice club. It was at Harris in Vegas. And um, I was talking to the guy uh, one night that ran the room, and he ran the room the entire time it was there. It was there, I think, 20-some years and um, one night we had the best show ever, just a great show, and everybody left without buying one bit of merchandise. They just walked right by everybody. Yeah. And, and I said to the guy, I go, that was weird. I said, that was a great show. What happened? He goes, no, that happens all the time. He goes, you can't believe it. He goes, some nights it's the worst show in terms of response. He goes, no one laughs, and they sell a ton of merchandise. Yeah. Afterwards. And he goes, there's other nights when it's a great show like this and people just walk right by you. And so I guess it's just hard to read. Um, but that's why they tell you don't don't complain and say, oh, I had a bad show because the crowd might not have thought that. Yeah, especially like a manager or something, don't say you had a bad show because they might not have been, even been in the damn room. They didn't <laughs> they, they didn't yeah, know they you had know. a bad show. Yeah, you know, and I've talked to many people who've had that problem who've gone up and said to you know, the, the owner, oh, man, I suck, you know. Well, don't say that because they not they may not have seen it, yeah. Um, but it's an interesting job. It's a job where uh, there's always that possibility that that night you will get a flat crowd. And if you do, well, you know, I think you just have to, uh, you know, chalk it up to, hey, there's going to be a couple of those, uh, you know, during a year. Yeah. During a calendar year, you're going to have a couple of those. And um, you just hope they don't occur on a night when there's industry there or you've got friends or family in the crowd. Yeah. 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 And the best part about it, too, is you usually have a, a chance to, to play again like the next night and redeem yourself, you know. Yeah. Well, no, that's true. That's the other thing. And, you know, the, the, I think the rewards of our job far outweigh the, the, the oh, negatives. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's still a really fun job uh, compared to other people's jobs. We're not working in a cubicle all day, and it's, it's you know, it's fun. It's a job that I think a lot of people wish they had. Oh, and, yeah. And um, it's absolutely uh, th- thrilling when you have a good show. You know, we have a good show. There's few experiences better. Uh, you know, I'm sure musicians feel that way too, and singers and stuff. But with comedy, with comedy, if you get uh, strangers to laugh for uh, a long stretch of time, you're you really feel good about it. And so, if you have a good job, it's just you're going to have those nights, and I think they're unavoidable sometimes. Yeah, 
Yeah, the uh, the other night I was at Pachanga, and Friday night the crowd was kind of, uh, they were kind of rowdy, and there were certain jokes that they just flat out just didn't get, and, you know, that kind of crowd, and they bought, they bought stuff afterwards, and the next night, I don't think I did anything wrong for 55 minutes, it didn't feel like it, and I, I sold one t-shirt. So, and that's, that's, it's so weird how that is, isn't it? It's just really weird. And it, 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 it's it, been yeah. that way my entire career, and my entire merchandise career has been that way. And when I was, you know, when I was single, that's when I would, you know, meet some girl or something. It was after a crappy show that I hated, and the the shows where I was great, and I was like, man, I'm gonna meet a girl tonight. That was awesome. Um, that never happened. It was always the shit nights on a Tuesday, which is which is what I was gonna say about earlier about why I quit drinking. Part of the reason I quit drinking is I was hammered one night, and it was it was back when clubs did like Tuesday through Sunday, and it was a and I was at some club, and it was Tuesday, and I was shit-faced, or maybe I was just in an open mic, I don't know, but it was Tuesday, and I was like, dude, it's just Tuesday, like, why are you hammered on a Tuesday? <laughs> you well, you know, that's a good point, and, but I think the, re- you know, the, the, the weird thing about it is that um, that's the whole point, is that it's really boredom, that's more what you're fighting off when you're drinking, you yeah. know, than anything, because it's not like when you're drinking... Uh, at a party or a barbecue or something, you're drinking on the road to basically fill the, the boredom. You know, that's that's when why Robin Williams basically uh, fell off the wagon that first time was he was in Alaska filming some movie and he said he was bored as shit and he was like maybe drinking will help and it was it was the beginning of uh, you know his battle again with alcoholism because he was away from it for quite a while and he just got bored as shit one day filming that movie and uh thought drinking would help and he did and you know i'm not saying that's what ultimately led to his suicide or anything like that but you know well the thing it does do though is it puts you on that train uh if you let it you know and and that can have a, a you know, a building effect uh, as time goes by, you know. Again, I'm not saying that's what happened to Robert either, but I just think that, you know, it does build on you to the point where unless you catch yourself, you know, and there's the rare person who can have two drinks and stop, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been that way when I was drinking. I, you know, oh, some never. people can, some people can, but uh, for the most part, I never even understood drinking beer or drinking beer while you ate pizza because to me I was like you can't even get a buzz doing that because the pizza will sop up all the beer so what's the fucking point that's how that's how I saw it I was like why would you you know some people yeah. like the taste can't yeah. like it because of the taste and to me I'm like yeah you know if I wasn't gonna get a buzz then I'm good <laughs> yeah right oh you know, yeah and you know, you do it for the buzz and and you know that's the thing that kills the boredom. Uh, and the other thing you got to remember is we're usually working around alcohol. Like when you do those Vegas gigs, we love doing them. But you're in the casino after the gig. Yeah. And, you know, there's all thing, kinds of things you can go wrong there. Uh, one is drinking and the other is, you know, gambling. Uh, I knew one comic uh, who, we were playing at Harris. I just mentioned Harris. And they have a sports book there. And we were starting the week. It was a Monday. And he says to me, hey, man, I'll stop at the sports book before we go to the club tonight. We stop at the sports book. This guy lost his entire check gambling before we even got to the, you know, wow. to the venue for the week. We, were, we hadn't even done one show, and he's lost his check. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and so, again, that's another challenge that I think people use when they're bored uh, on the road. Yeah, a, a good friend of mine, uh, I would say his name, I sure he'd probably be okay with it but i won't uh he lost 60 grand in a weekend at vegas and he was not you know i mean he obviously had the credit to tap in for that kind of money but he didn't have that kind of money you know what i mean um so yeah you can get a hold of some people i've never been a gambler i lost 40 bucks one time after driving 10 hours when i first started doing comedy and i'd made like 250 for the weekend and then I had to drive 10 hours each way, and I immediately lost 40 bucks at a casino with this girl that I was dating, and I never gambled since. <laughs> well, I think you live and learn, you know. Some people, some people don't learn, and they're the ones who wind up with trouble, you know. Um, 
So, I mean, you know, uh, it does happen. And some comics, I won't mention their names, but some of the big name comics really had issues with it. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, they got way in debt. So, yeah, you got to be careful of all that stuff. Um, Those are the pitfalls. And yet, you know, that's the road. The road can be numbing. How long have you been doing stand-up, Frazier? I've been doing stand-up about 25 years. Okay. And I really started out here in L.A., and it really came about because of uh, uh, radio uh, personal appearances. I was making personal appearances for the radio station, and, you know, you try to be funny at those to keep people interested, and, and, uh, you know, you would give out some T-shirts and then do some jokes and it's not like doing a stand-up show, but it was somewhat similar, and I enjoyed that. And so then I kind of tried stand-up, and um, uh, I, Jamie Masada was the sidekick on my radio show. He was my sidekick huh, uh, I didn't know on that. my KOS show. And that's probably why uh, <laughs> he still gives me a hard time today. He, he's like never forgotten the fact that, you know, I would kind of when he was my sidekick, you know, constantly. <laughs> he, he was kind of a crazy foreign guy. That's what his yeah. kind of role was. And um, and then he was going to buy this club. He, he uh, had, I forget, I think he'd gotten a loan from a, a producer who he uh, that was looking for a tax write-off. And he and went and bought the little laugh factory, which was about a third of the size that it is now. You know, it's just tiny. And uh, he bought it and started doing shows there, you know, and, and I was on the radio with him. And he said, well, why don't you host down here? Why don't you come down here? And, you know, so that's another way that I started. It was just started going there. And uh, so I really started at Laugh Factory. Um, and then I got to know a few people. Uh, you know, I got to know the guy at the Ice House. Uh, and I, I became very big on the radio. So these guys wanted me in their club because... I could fill seats back then by just mentioning I was going to be somewhere. Yeah. would bring a bunch of people out. Uh, my stand-up wasn't very good, but they would come out to see me because I was such a big hit on the radio. So, you know, I get these people, uh, and, and the, the club owners liked that because it helped with their draw, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really how I got started. Did uh, Have you met Mitzi Shore a few times? Oh, yeah. Well, I knew Mitzi pretty well. Yeah. And um, she was a tough cookie boy, uh, not too many tougher than Mitzi, and uh, and I always liked her. She was always great to me, um, but she was would pull my punches. You know, she'd tell you what she thought, and uh, she was very sharp. I mean, she knew how to pick a star and picked many stars. I've often said that she picked more stars than anybody. Really? Yeah. If you really look at the at the, the people that came out of there, I mean, I'll just name a few, but, you know, you got Letterman, Leno, Jim Carrey, Roseanne, uh, you know, Saget, uh, uh, Shandling, uh, you know, Louie Anderson, I mean, the list goes on and on, Dice, you know, Kinnison, uh, there, there's probably, you know, 30 major stars that came out of there. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think about it enough, but she was, she was, I, I was one of the last people that she passed before Tommy started passing people, which uh, I always was very honored by, and she passed me yeah. on, and she passed me on the first try, which somebody told me recently that that doesn't happen very often at all. Um, rarely, rarely it doesn't, you, she must have liked you, and, uh, and that is really a tribute, because she likes you, she had a great eye, she could pick a, a talent. And, uh, so, and so that's really a compliment to you. Well, I need to remember that when I get all fucking out of my head nervous up there. <laughs> and well, El- yeah, the only thing you're really nervous about, you're not nervous about performing. Uh, you're a good performer and you know it. You know, you're a really good performer. You, you've done this for quite a while and you're very good. Yeah. So it's not, you're not, your nerves are not about performance. Your nerves are about, I think, uh, just... You know, the club owner in Hollywood doesn't see me when it's one of those weird crowds. Yeah. Because, you know, we do those late night spots, and on those, you just never know. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have to relax, because I think most club owners know that the late night spots can bring in a weird crowd, you know, or, or you know, the dregs of what's left over from a good crowd. Yeah. And, 
you know, any smart owner knows that. Yeah. You know, and I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. We're thinking, oh, man, what if the owner's in the room and it's one of those weird crowds? Well, yeah, but they kind of know that those late-night spots can bring that, you yeah. know. So I wouldn't be too worried about them. One thing Mitzi was great at was spotting someone with a bad crowd. If she saw that someone had talent and the crowd was bad, she could read that. Mm-hmm. Well, you gosh, know. that's certainly then, a lost uh, art form because nowadays yeah. people just, they only notice if you're a killing or not. I mean, some people do. Some people do. The best compliment I ever got one night, this old man came up to me and told me I was the best stand-up he'd ever seen. And it was after a show that I wasn't really, it was just very whatever. I didn't like it at all. And and that's what reminded me like, oh, it, you know, sometimes people can be enjoying something even if you're not, even if you don't feel like you're killing or whatever, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, that can happen, and um, that's what I tell you, you should never say you're, you're having a, you had a bad show, because you don't know what they thought, and um, yeah, you know, uh, but I think the more, uh, the wiser club owners know, oh, okay, that's a weird crowd, I'm like a blanket count tonight, uh, the ones who don't know are usually some people who haven't done it that long, and then they just look at it, did they, did they kill it, did they not kill it? You're going to run into a few of those, but, you know, you just can't let that run your life. I think that's the, the thing. And what I do now is I just go up on those late night sets knowing it could go either way, and then you're not so surprised. If it turns out that they're weird, you're, you're already ready for it, you know? And as you know, there's little tricks you can do with those crowds, you know, to, to maybe even pull them around a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I've learned uh, is um, there's two different ways to look at it, but I, I, I you know, I've learned that um, I just put a little bit more of my quicker material at the front of my set. Yeah. Uh, on those late night shows, because the, usually it's an attention span thing. It's usually a thing of we've been here a long time, we're tired. And, you know, if you go out there and you're doing long-winded stories, they're probably going to get up and leave or just not, or just tune out. Yeah. But if you're up there doing some pretty quick little stuff at the top, and then once you get them, you can slow down and do whatever you like to do, you know. But but at first, I find with those late-night crowds, you know, do some real quick hitter-type stuff and hope that that grabs their attention. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There are little tricks to every crowd. Sometimes I'll get a crowd that's a little stubborn at first, and I'll give them a little bit of shit. You know, like uh, you know, you, I'm gonna let you think about what you've, what you've done that you didn't laugh at. That you know, just give them a little bit of shit about whatever. You staring at me, I'll stare at you too. That kind of shit, and and yeah. and it they, it almost like reminds them like, oh, this is a live show, and we um, we kind of need to participate. It's like having a conversation if. If you stood here and talked to somebody for five minutes and they didn't respond, you'd walk away from that person. But when you're on stage and you're doing stuff that almost always gets a laugh and it's not, that's when you know, like, oh, this this might be the crowd. And and that's where you hope, like you were saying, that the that the club owner knows, um, you know, the difference. And one thing I'm proud of is that I can have a show that I hate and hardly get any laughs or it feels like it and do 45 or I can kill and do 48 you know, um, yeah. because that means well, you that's can... that's pretty amazing. You know, it's pretty amazing because, see, I can't do that. I can't do a 45-minute set. I don't have enough material because I do the one-liners. You know, you run out after a certain point. But just to anyone who's a headliner, I'm always uh, amazed and because um, it's a long haul. And you're right, those nights where it's really, if you can hang in there and gut it out and do your 45 on a night when the crowd's not really there, that, that takes a lot. And, you know, you've done it long enough where you know how to do that, you know? And, you know, I think that's great. And sometimes they they still enjoy the show a lot. And the other thing is, not every crowd is a huge laugher crowd. Yeah. I had one recently where the crowd was definitely liking the show, but they just weren't big laughers. You could see them all laughing in their seats, though. Yeah. You know, and you could tell they were enjoying it, but they weren't laughing big. If you were standing in the back, you might think, oh, this isn't going well. But if you're on stage, you're like, oh, okay, they're into it. You yeah. know, they're just not big, you know, back slapping laughs. You know, it's, 
It's a little bit quieter, but they're digging it. So I just think experience helps you. You know, we've been at, at this a long time. We, you know, we're able to use our experience. Um, and then there's just going to be those occasional nights that are weird, and there's nothing you can do. How long have you? Because you you were born and and raised in Detroit, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you've been out here for how long? I've been out here almost forty years. Oh, okay. So you're the entirety of your radio and stand up career. Pretty much. I started radio in Detroit and uh, started in, you know in Michigan doing radio, but uh, most of my career is wound up being out here. And uh, yeah, I've been in LA a long time. I bet you're great at interviewing comics on the air because that's an art form too. Like it, it sometimes I run into DJs who they they laugh at the wrong spot or if there's any kind of a pause before you, you know, like I tend to pause a lot and some DJs get freaked out by it and they'll they'll laugh or they'll insert they'll say something and I'm like, "God damn it, if you were just giving me a half a second, I would <laughs> I would have gotten to it, you know." Um, or they won't laugh, or they'll laugh at the wrong part, like I said, and, and so, yeah, I bet you're good at it. Well, DJs have a different kind of fear. Their fear is what they call dead air, and, because uh, they don't have to deal with an audience. Yeah. They, they always fear dead air, and, and the, the good ones don't. The good ones, that doesn't bother them at all. It's kind of like a good comic isn't bothered by silence because he knows or she knows that she's going to get him later, you know. So a little silence doesn't freak a good one out, uh, an experience. And same thing on the radio. You know, a good DJ knows, hey, a little dead air is not going to kill you, you know. And, and so they'll, they'll wait for a punchline. The other DJs are just, they're not as experienced and they're just going to try to jump in there at every chance they can to fill the the, uh, the air so that it doesn't sound like there was a pause and that caused them to do what you're talking about just yeah. be over anxious and jump in at the wrong time and all that and I also think DJs certain DJs and certain hosts too uh, yeah, on television uh, don't the Cardinal Sin is not listening and because uh, they're, they're just waiting to get their next line in right. you know and uh, that's not the what a host is supposed to do. A host is supposed to listen and then let, let your response, your funny response come back naturally, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's what a good host will do. So, you know, it's really about patience and listening and, and those kind of basics. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I think, I, I like to think that doing this podcast has made me a, a better listener and made me realize that some people take a little bit longer to answer. I, I've got a friend who, uh, is very measured in what he says. Like he'll think about almost everything he says and he's very smart, but he just takes his time. And, uh, I realized that lit talking to him and, and just doing this, like because sometimes you do want to jump on or you have a story that you want to get out and, and you have to be careful of that. Um, because it's easy to do like earmark a, a, sto- a, a line, a story that you want to tell about the story he's telling. And then before you know it though, you're not, you don't realize what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, um, there's just some people that speak slower, you know, and, and that's just their cadence. You know, it's like a Stephen Wright type cadence, you know, where it's just real slow and deliberate. And that doesn't mean they're not funny. They, those, some of those comics are the funniest, you know, but they are trickier for a host because you're sitting there going, come on already, you know. Uh, spit it out, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's kind of how you know we tend to uh, uh, deal with things. Is um, you know, as a host, you know, you're you're uh, whether it's a podcast or a radio show or, or a live show, you're kind of feeling like let's keep it moving, let's keep things moving. But sometimes you have to dial back for the person's pacing. You know, I just really like to watch Carson on uh, YouTube because Johnny was the best at that. He was the best at, you know, listening, waiting, seeing what the other person had to say, and then throwing a line in there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he, he just had the ability to do that, to, to be patient, and then, uh, you know, keep things moving at the end of someone's conversation with a line here or there. But I like to watch him because that gives you good examples of how to do it right. Yeah, 
I, I think that's that's the last as far as um not fearing like the silence like kind of what we were talking about like that's that that's something that I still hate and and I'm if I'm working on some if I'm doing something that's a little bit it's funny but it's also kind of serious like I hate how I feel inside when I'm when I'm doing it like worrying about what they think or if it's not funny necessarily because I was kind of taught when I was starting out that you you know the whole laugh every 15 seconds for 45 minutes kind of a thing which may or may not be true but that's kind of how I was taught and it's still the silence bothers me even though sometimes silence is completely necessary you know um well uh, yeah and I think it's true for um I think it's really true I, I, I think you know and if you really look at the really good performers or really good speakers in general, you know, in a lecture or something, they all have silence. They all have things where they take some time to breathe and they can, and you know, and, and uh, I think that's absolutely fine. I just think we are trained the other way. We're trained to not let any silence happen, not quit moving, don't let any, you know. And um, I, I think that's, you know, one of the things you pick up with seasoning, you learn to be a little more patient, a little better listener, uh, a little bit more aware of, of, your, of your spaces, you know, and, um, and, you know, so I think that's something that uh, you kind of, again, you kind of pick that up with time, I think. Yeah, some rooms are, uh, like, there's some rooms are what, what I call quarter beat rooms, like you just have, uh, Brian Burgess is the guy who originated that and told me about it, but... He said, this is a quarter beat room. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, that means you got to wait a quarter of a beat longer than you normally would for them to start laughing. And some rooms are just like that. You just got to wait a, if you just give it a second, they'll laugh. You know, you just got to be well, patient another, with it. Yeah, and another thing that was interesting was playing a bigger room. Uh, yeah, I went on tour with uh, Russell Peters uh, a couple years back. and um, That's a fun gig. Well, he was playing like, you know, 5,000 seaters or whatever, you know, around that, 3,500, something like that. And, uh, you know, and I was really nervous about, uh, he kind of filled with time. I had to do a half an hour or something. I thought, I don't know, can I do a half hour with this? Because with one-liners, you know, you really, your top end is usually around 25. Mm -hmm. So, and it was easy once you learned how to do it, because you had to wait even longer than a quarter beat. You had to wait, you know, because the, the, the room is so big, the laughs take a minute to die down. Yeah. So I learned that very quickly because uh, all of a sudden my 10 minutes turned into 20. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're waiting for the laugh to die down. And so those bigger rooms, you have to pace yourself a little differently and, and you know, uh, wait it out. It, it's fun. It's I've only gotten to do a few of those huge, huge things, like thousands of people in the crowd, and it's it's fun once you get the hang of it, sitting there and just listening to it go to the back of the room and come all the way back like a wave. It's cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is cool. And, um, and they turn out to be somewhat easier. And again, also, they're there for that star, so they're in a... Uh, you know, they take top down for their ticket and so they feel like hey we're going to listen we're going to pay attention here let's see how this you know uh, plays out and and I think you do get that you get more of a um, you know a, a situation where the crowd's going to give you more they're, they're bigger they've got more energy and they're there they pay more money for the ticket so they're not going to be talking to each other and screwing around they're going to be paying attention yeah like, so, yeah, crowds that pay money are always better than, than free crowds. Um, yeah, they, they, they are. Yeah, they are. You can do the um, same club, and, and, the, and the Thursday show can be completely free, and I guarantee you it's going to be the worst show of the weekend. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the Thursday, yeah, the one that's free. Yeah. The one that's free. Yeah, yeah, you know that. You know, you're right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, feel like I, could, uh, I feel like I could talk to you all night. I don't want to take up your entire night. We've already done about close to 50 minutes um but yeah it's gone fast and uh, i'd like to have you on again sometime well i'd love to do it i really thank you for asking me you know i'm a big fan of yours uh you're a very talented comedian i just love all your stuff and uh really good writer and performer 
and I'm glad you're doing a podcast. You know, that's a way of keeping the fan base going and building the fan base. And uh, so I'm glad you're doing this, and uh, uh, I enjoyed it, and I enjoy working with you. I'll come on anytime. Okay, cool, buddy. Is there anything you would like to uh, plug? Well, you know, just my usual stuff. My radio show Sunday nights uh, on. 95.5 KLOS in Los Angeles, or you can get it on iHeartRadio if you're not in Los Angeles. Uh, and I think they also are podcasting it again. They stopped for a while, but I think they are. So if you go to the uh, 95.5 uh, uh, com, you can get uh, you can get a, a, a podcasted version of my Sunday night show. Cool. All right. I just wrote that down myself. I'd like to listen to the show on Sunday night. I've never gotten a chance to. That's, you know, that's another reason, like I said, that you work as much as you do because you're such a good host and there's so few of them and every club needs one. So, you know, I'm sure you work just about as much as you want to. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate that way and I am for that, you know, but thank you for saying that. Yeah, well, I'm not bullshitting you. I really, I really, I really like when you're on a show and uh, I know it's going to be smoother sailing and for, you know all that stuff and familiar face and you're one of the you're one of the people that I enjoy seeing when I go down to Hollywood so thanks for being on here buddy and uh, I will definitely see you soon alright my friend thanks for having me on the show I appreciate it Tim I look forward to seeing you soon you bet Fraser. bye bye buddy take care bye bye alright everybody that was Fraser Smith really appreciate him doing this and uh, thank, of all, thank all of you guys for listening my website is timgathercomedy.com I've got some up t- upcoming dates on there. I've got, uh, I just added the Reno Laugh Factory in March. I'm going to be at the Looney Bin in January, as well as Looney's in Colorado Springs in February. I'm going to be at another Looney Bin um, in May. I think I've already got something in Seattle. Uh, I don't know what all, but it's on timgathercomedy.com. I just had to cancel my week in Kansas City on May 27 through 30. So I will let you know what the uh, new date is on that. So my apologies there. And I'll be in Dallas at Hyenas Comedy Club December 7 through 9. And Hyenas in Dallas December 14 through 16. Uh, That's Hyenas in Dallas and Plano. Back-to-back weeks there. And uh, yeah. So God bless all of you. Thanks for listening. And take care. Bye.